tells me it's Christmas time coming in here. The decorations tell me uh, it's Christmas time. The sermon uh, I practiced this morning tells me it's Christmas time. The weather uh, is, is strange. Uh, it's, uh, the, the weather tells me it's spring. Uh, how many are, are cool, just out of curiosity, cool with 60 degrees in December? Uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm losing. All right, that's, uh, it, it's supposed to be cold. All right, so um, let me uh, go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll start this new series, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time of year. Uh, I, really, um, I really love preaching uh, this time of year. I, I love studying your word, um, uh, the, the Christmas story, um, greatest story. And uh, um, I just pray uh, as we delve into this that um, our hearts and our minds would, would turn to you and we'd find uh, joy, hope, and peace from you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, what are your uh, favorite parts of the days before Christmas? Uh, so leading up to Christmas, what are, your, what are your favorite parts of those days? For some people, it's the lights. Any lights people? You, all right, some of you, all right. Uh, I really like lights. We do a couple Christmas trees at our house. There's something about uh, sitting around the, on the couch with a bowl of popcorn with the Christmas lights on. Um, it, it's very, very relaxing. For some, it's the movies. And uh, this is the time where Freeform, formerly ABC Family, uh, they do uh, Christmas all, all month long, right? So if you like The Grinch, Wonderful Life, Frosty, Rudolph, Christmas Story, uh, this, is, this is the time for you. I know some of you are going to tell me what I missed, and there's a lot, so we can uh, do that later, right? Uh, for some of you, uh, it's the taste of Christmas, hot chocolate, uh, candy, cookies, peppermint. Uh, for some, it's uh, the sound of Christmas. You probably have a favorite uh, Christmas album that you like to listen to uh, this time of year. I'm going to go ahead and do you um, a major, major solid. The, the, the sermon has nothing to do with this, but Darius Rucker's Christmas album. Uh, you should get it. It's one of, it's one of the best Christmas albums. I, I love listening to it. Uh, you probably also have a favorite song uh, that, that you love to listen to this time uh, of year. We, we all have the days before Christmas, the nights before Christmas. We all, there's all, always a lead up to Christmas, and there's things we enjoy, and there's things we love to do, and, and we, all, we all have our favorites. Now, what I noticed when I was reading the Christmas story last year was that a couple of different of the gospel writers start out their story of Christmas the same way. They'll describe it uh, in these words, the beginning. That this was the beginning. These were the nights and the days leading up to Christmas. This is kind of how it all started. And they each have kind of a different take on the days leading up to Christmas, where they each like to highlight a certain thing that the days before Christmas were like and, and leading up to. And as I was reading it last year, I just found it really, really interesting. Uh, so that's what this series is about. This series is about uh, each of the different gospel writers and what they described as the nights and the days uh, leading up to Christmas. So we're, this series, the, the palettes up here kind of tell the story of what we're going to study. Today we're going to talk about the beginning of grace and then the beginning of the way, uh, the beginning of certainty, and the beginning of light. And I know we talked about this earlier, but uh, December 17th, the beginning of certainty. We always kind of pick one service and say, man, we know friends are really, really open to coming to church on, on, at Christmas time. And so December 17th is the, is the Sunday we're kind of pointing you to that if you have your friends here, it's just going to be a great uh, kind of Christmas presentation. So we want to kind of have that um, in your heart and in your mind leading up to the 17th. But today we want to start with Matthew, the, the very first gospel. And Matthew kind of talks about the days before Christmas in a really interesting way. Um, he starts out his Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1 with a genealogy. 
Now, um, this is um, the, the part that many of us kind of skip over uh, to get to chapter two, uh, because in chapter two you get the magi and the birth and, and all that stuff. But Matthew doesn't start in chapter two. He starts in chapter one uh, with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience. And so while we like to skip the genealogy, if you're a Jewish person uh, that, that was reading Matthew's letter for the first time, there's no way you would have skipped the genealogy because it does a couple of things. The first thing it does is it establishes Jesus from the line of David. All right, so when you look at the, the different sections of the genealogy, you got 16 generations, 16 and 16, and it kind of leads us to King David, and then it leads us from King David to Jesus. And it, and it shows us that Jesus did indeed come from the line of David, which the prophets in the Old Testament had predicted long before that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. So that's one thing that it did, it establishes Jesus' line. The second thing that it does, uh, and, and genealogies all throughout your Bible do this, is they establish what the writer of the genealogy really thought was most important. That the way that you tell your genealogy, it establishes what you think is important, what you want people to hear, what, what you really wanna highlight. So, like a teacher, if you're a teacher, when you tell your genealogy, you're really tempted to, to highlight some of the different teachers that are in your family tree. If you're a stay-at-home mom or a conscientious dad, you probably tell your genealogy in a way that highlights uh, other stay-at-home moms, other conscientious dads, parent, good parents. Um, the way we tell our genealogy reveals something about who we are or what we want to be or what we came to do. A genealogy would often reveal mission and purpose. So if you're a warrior, you highlight all the warriors. Teacher, highlight all the, all the teachers. Parent, highlight all the, all the parents. And so a genealogy would reveal a lot about, the way you tell your genealogy reveals a lot about what you view as the, the mission and purpose of, of life, what, what you view that to be. And because of this, Matthew's genealogy is really really interesting, right? It's a really interesting genealogy because Matthew includes these stories that are surprising and scandalous, and these are stories that you would expect to be excluded from the genealogy of the perfect Lamb of God, all right? So when you're reading through the genealogy, you get to these little names and these stories, and you're like, Matthew, why would you include that? That's surprising. It's scandalous. It doesn't make sense. But I would tell you, I believe Matthew includes, includes these stories intentionally because he wants to teach us a lesson about Jesus's mission and Jesus's purpose and what he came to do and be. But these stories, all right, just a heads up, a couple of these stories are fairly scandalous, right? So stories in verse three, like Tamar, the story of Tamar. You find her original story in Genesis chapter 38. The story of Tamar goes that her husband died uh, the Bible says because he had been a really uh, wicked and evil man, and I'm not going to get into that because the story's scandalous enough, but you can go back and read Genesis 38 sometime. But in the culture that Tamar lived in, if your husband died, it was the responsibility of the next oldest sibling uh, to, to marry the widow and help her conceive children. And so the next older brother stepped up after his brother died, and then he died. All right? Tamar was a bit of a black widow, all right? Um, he, he died because he also did evil, once again, that we're not going to get into in church, right? And so the next son was uh, Sheila. There's, if you're expecting a son, there's a good name for you, all right? Sheila, all right? 
And uh, her father-in-law, all right, the father-in-law will not give Sheila over to marry Tamar because he says he feels that Sheila needs to grow up, that he's too young. But we're told that the real reason is, is that he's worried that Sheila's going to die too because he's also doing the same evil, evil deeds of his brother. So Judah, not knowing what to do, Judah's the father, not knowing what to do, he's out of sons. He sends Tamar back to her father's house. And everybody listening to this story, as as it's unfolding in the Old Testament, would have gasped, honestly. This was not ever, ever done. Once you married, it was your responsibility as the married family to look after her and to care for her, to send her back to her father. I, I I can't even describe to you how scandalous this would have been. All right, it, just, it just was never, ever done. And so she goes back to her home village to, to live with her nuclear family, and she's just kind of biding time there. And she hears that Judah, her father-in-law, his wife has passed away, and he's going to travel through her village. And so she comes up with this idea to get out of her situation. She decides that she's going to dress up like a prostitute, and she's going to go meet Judah on the road, and she's going to entice her father-in-law to sleep with her, Um, and then hopefully she's hoping she'll get pregnant and then he'll be forced to care, take, take after her, to to care after her because Tamar's living in this really scandalous situation in her home, in her home village. And so she's like, I'm going to trick him. I'm going to get pregnant. He's going to have to take care of me. And it's exactly what happens. He comes down the road. She's dressed up like a prostitute. He has no idea it's Tamar. Um, she ends up getting pregnant. She ends up having twins. One of those twins is uh, one of their names is Perez, who ends up being in the bloodline of King David and eventually Jesus. And so, this beautiful Christmas story <laughs> isn't it beautiful? It gets included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, if this were your family tree, if you were Matthew and you were, developing, you were developing your own family tree, this is one of those stories that you probably just leave out. Like, he had a great, great, great aunt. She did some stuff. We don't talk about it. She's not in the genealogy anymore, right? <laughs> She's been cut, all right? Um, so that's Tamar. The next story is Rahab, all right, found in verse 5. And this story goes uh, from the time when God's people were getting ready to, they'd been wandering the desert for years and years. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land, uh, which is this piece of real estate that God had promised his people year, years before. And the only problem is there's somebody else already living there. And so Joshua is leading God's people and he sends a group of spies into the city of Jericho to see what it looks like and to see how powerful the enemy is. So they go in on a mission and they end up staying uh, with a prostitute, another prostitute named Uh, Rahab, and the Bible goes out of its way to identify Rahab's type of work. As a matter of fact, I I didn't do this research, but I believe almost every time that Rahab is mentioned, it's Rahab the prostitute. All right, so it's, you know, just think about that for a minute. I mean, we don't really do that with anybody else, but Rahab, it's like, yeah, and Rahab was there, and by the way, she's a prostitute. And so the Bible goes out of its way to kind of, she's, she's being identified by the people around her by her greatest mistake. And so what ends up happening is the, the government finds out that the enemy has snuck in and they're staying with Rahab. And so they come to Rahab and say, send the men out. Um, we're, we're, they're here to destroy us. We're going we're gonna to kill them. And Rahab, the prostitute, as she's repeatedly referred to, does something amazing. She tells a lie. 
And uh, she says, the men were here. Um, they've left, they left at dust. They're gone. And she's got a big time head start on you. Uh, so if you want to catch them, you better, you better chase after them. And all the while, the, the spies were hiding on, on the roof. And they eventually took over the city um, because of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, if this were your family tree and you were doing your genealogy, you can correct me if I'm wrong after, but you'd probably just go with Rahab, wouldn't you? When you're identifying her, like, and there was this woman named Rahab, she lived in Jericho, she helped the spies. You probably wouldn't repeatedly go out of your way to say, my great, 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 great aunt, Rahab the prostitute, right? It would probably just be Rahab that lived in Jericho, right? That, that's probably what you do. And that's probably what I would do too. The last story is found in verse six. And this one's super interesting to me because it's about King David. And remember what I said, the genealogy is, has to go through King David because the Messiah and the Savior was going to be from the line of King David. So it's absolutely no surprise that King David is, is mentioned. What's surprising to me in verse six is the, is the story that's referenced from King David's history. Because you could have said, King David, the one who killed Goliath. You could have said, uh, King David, uh, the, the greatest king in Israel's history. All right? You could have said, uh, King David, the man after God's own heart. You, you, could have, you could have said any number of things, but verse six says, and Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father uh, of Solomon, the next king, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And again, everybody would have gasped. Why on earth, Matthew, would you include this story? You remember how it went, didn't you? That David was supposed to be uh, in battle. He stays home from battle for some reason. He sees this woman that, that he just uh, feels like he has to be with. He sends for her, knowing and, and later finding out that she's married. He sleeps with her. He, he gets her pregnant. He tries to trick her husband into coming home to be with her so the husband will think the child is his. He refuses to do it because his men are on the battlefield and he won't come home and be with his wife. And so David just does the unspeakable. He sends Uriah to the front of the battlefield and he ends up being killed. And this is the story that is referenced in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When it could have been King David who killed Goliath, King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, King David, a man after God's own heart. And here's my question, and maybe it's yours as well. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Why include these stories? Right? Why include these stories? Because you most certainly, and I most certainly, would not have included these stories in our genealogies. They represent the scandal. These three stories represent the scandal of Jesus' earthly family tree. And most of the time, we don't do that. Like I said earlier, our genealogies are filled with kings and warriors and princesses, princesses and princes and people that made huge differences in the world. You'll notice this, that um, whenever anybody's talking about reincarnation, do you ever notice that what they're reincarnating Incarnated from was like an old king that, you know, conquered the world. No, nobody ever goes back and was like, yeah, you know, I am reincarnated from, uh, you know, like a prostitute, like Rahab was. We, we just don't do that. We highlight from our history the successes and the battles and all of that stuff. So it is surprising that Matthew goes out of his way to highlight the scandal in Jesus's earthly family tree. Why? Well, let's start with human nature for a minute, all right? Because I, I think this will probably resound with everybody. We'll start with human nature, that when something strikes, strikes your family, 
When something strikes the people that you love, it typically becomes more personal to you, right? So you didn't participate in the cancer walk probably until you had a family member or somebody that you love that they got cancer and now you're there and you're walking and you're raising money. Your compassion grew because it affected somebody from your family, somebody that you love. You didn't think much about divorce until your parents got divorced and now you're reading about it and thinking about it and, and talking to people about it because your compassion grew because it struck some people that you love. For me, I had no idea what a brain aneurysm was until my mom died from one. And now every time I hear the story of someone who has a family member that, that died from a brain aneurysm, my heart is connected to them in a more compassionate and stronger way because it affected somebody that I love. And I think that Matthew is highlighting the mistakes and the sins. He's highlighting the sins. I, I, don't, I don't see any other way to describe this, that he is highlighting the sins of some of the people in Jesus' earth family, earthly family tree to remind us to remind us that even Jesus, sin struck his family as well. It, it didn't affect him. Jesus is the perfect, sinless uh, lamb of God, but it affected his family. And because it affected his family, he deeply wants to do something about it. So along with his incredible love and, and compassion for people, this has motivated our Savior Jesus. His family tree has motivated him in an incredible way on the behalf of sinners. Because sin has affected his family. Sin has affected the people he loves. Sin has uh, affected people that he cares about. And when you kind of broaden the New Testament teaching that we are sons and daughters of, of God, it grows even more. That he sees how sin has affected us and his compassion grows for the sinners. So Matthew starts out his gospel loud and clear. Let me put this on the screen for you. That this is the family Jesus came from and this is the family he came for. This is the family he came from, and this is the family he came for. And as you evaluate Jesus' life, it makes sense, doesn't it, how his compassion grew for this area? When you examine Jesus' earthly ministry, who did he spend time with? He spent time with prostitutes. He, he spent time with people that had had affairs, tax cheats, liars. He spent time with them, and he showed them grace. Why? This is the family he came from. And this is the family he came for. He came for people that had made mistakes. He came for people who had sin in their life, people that were full of regret, pe people that didn't know which way to turn. They'd, they'd made so many mistakes. He came for them so that they could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves them and God wants them to be a part of his family. It's the whole point of the cross, isn't it? That anybody... Anybody can come to Jesus on the cross and receive forgiveness through faith. Anybody can come and receive salvation. Anybody can be a part of God's family. This is the family he came from, and this is the family he came for. And this was so radical when Jesus was here on earth. Radical and, contra and controversial. Because the spiritual equation when Jesus came on earth was this. Obey the law plus do good works equals being a part of God's family. And the, the, the general understanding of people was, man, if you'll do your best to obey the Bible and you'll do your best to do good works, then maybe, just maybe, God will love you then. 
Maybe if you're really, really good, God will love you and accept you and allow you into his family. But you gotta try really hard and you gotta be really good and you can't be making a bunch of mistakes. And if you do get it all together for, for, for a period of time, maybe, just maybe, God will let you in. And when Jesus came onto the scene, he just introduced a new equation. And what he said was, faith in me. Faith in me. Express your faith in me, Jesus said, plus nothing equals being part of God's family. That Jesus taught there's nothing you can do to earn this. There's nothing you can do to pay it back. You just express your faith in me and I will take care of your sin problem. Jesus said that he had the power. God had given him the power. Uh, um, as, the, as the son of God, he had the power. As the perfect, sinless son of God, he had the power to forgive sins. He had the power to make people right with, with the heavenly father. He had the power to take us to heaven when we die. Jesus always, Jesus only, Jesus forever. As God in human flesh, this is what, it always amazes me whenever people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed it all the time. Whenever he forgave sins, he claimed it. Because they said, nobody can forgive sins but God himself. And Jesus is like, yep. You're right. Nobody can forgive sins but God himself. And I am here in, 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 human, in human form to forgive to forgive sins. This is why I have come, so that people can be made right with the Heavenly Father. People like Rahab, the prostitute. People like David, the adulterer. People like Tamar, the schemer and the liar. And all the other people in, in between. And, and, and you know, I highlighted the scandal because I wanted to kind of draw that out a little bit. But Abraham wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. Nobody in that family tree was perfect, just like nobody in this room is perfect. And so through, the, through the, the family tree, the genealogy of Jesus, we're getting this lesson loud and clear. This is the family he came from, and this is the, this is the family uh, he came for. And the sinners of Jesus' day flocked to him. They did. They loved him. They'd never heard this before. They'd been told by the relig religious establishment that because of their choices, because of their bad behavior, because of their bad de decisions, God would never love them or accept them or, or they could never be a part of God's family. They were on the outs. And this teacher from Nazareth shows up and he begins to say he's God and he performs miracles to back it up. And, and he begins to say loud and clear, I will forgive you. I will show you grace. I'll pay for your sin on the cross. You don't have to be out. You can be in. Express your faith in me. And so many sinners cheered Jesus on. But at the same rate that the sinners of Jesus' day loved him, you know who resented Jesus the most? It was the religious establishment. They hated Jesus the most because in their mind, the religious people were keeping the rules and doing the right things. And the fact that Jesus was telling them like anybody can come into, the, into God's kingdom through Jesus, it made them angry. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Right, the story of the prodigal son is the story of a, of a boy who asks for his inheritance early and he goes off and the Bible says he engages in wild living. He loses everything through a famine and one day he's lost it all and he's like robbing some pods from the pigs. Right, he's just stealing food from the pigs and he realizes that, man, even my father's workers have it better than this. So he says, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna ask my dad not to be a son. I don't think I can ever be a son again because of what I've done. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to ask dad to make me a hired worker, to give me a job, maybe part-time, whatever. He'll, he'll let me work. And so he takes that long walk home and the dad sees him a long way off. He runs to him, uh, which was kind of frowned upon in Jewish culture. Um, uh, men and fathers didn't run anywhere. People kind of ran to them, right? They didn't run after people. But he runs to his son. He embraces him. He throws him a great party, kills the, the fattened calf, and he, he wants to celebrate it. And everybody was really excited, except, of course, the fatted calf. And, <laughs> dumb preacher joke, but, and the older brother, right? His older brother resented him. You screwed up, younger. You engaged in this wild living. You wasted dad's money. You should be on the outs forever. And the point of the story is how much the father loves us, that he allows us to come back to the party. He allows us to come in even when we've made mistakes. He allows us to be forgiven. He allows us back in. And there are two things that the religious kind of older brother mentality, they never understand. There's two things. They never understand how bad they actually are and how much in need of a savior they are. Because yeah, yes, the whole Rahab the prostitute thing, prostitution, I think most people would probably agree is a sin, but guess what? So is pride. So, so, so is pride. And so is anger, and so is jealousy. So, some, so are so many of those things that are on the inside that, that not, not, maybe uh, uh, not a lot of people get to see all the time, those are sins as well. So they don't understand that they're in need of a Savior too, and they don't understand how much God loves people. They really don't. That it's why he sent his son, so that his children, his family, could find their way back to be a part of the family again. A couple weeks ago, um, my son Sam was hanging out in my office, and on our way into the office, I had stopped and bought a 32-ounce cup of iced tea, uh, and I had it sitting on my desk, because the best sermons are written with a cup of iced tea on, on the desk, all right? Um, iced tea helps sermons, all right? So he has to sit on my lap, and he's sitting on my lap, and I had started to tickle him a little bit, and we were just goofing around some, and he started to thrash around. And he knocked that 32 ounces of iced tea over um, on my desk. It went all over the floor, all over my desk. I lifted up my computer real quick, and he immediately thought he was in trouble. And he said, I am like so sorry. I'm so sorry. He knows how much I love iced tea. Um, (laughs) But I needed him to know that I love him more. And I told him it was fine, it's not a big deal, that we could clean it up, it was forgiven. And then after I expressed to him that he was forgiven, I expressed to him, we need to be more careful around dad's desk. So I said, I'm not going to you know, get you wound up like that. That was part of my mistake, and we're not going to thrash around. We're just not going to do that around my desk anymore. He's like, that, that, that's a good deal. And I share that story because I think we get this backward with God sometimes. We think, man, if I get my life together, if I start making better decisions, then I'll be accepted, and then I'll be loved, and then I'll be part of God's family. And we forget that Christmas is the story of grace. And, and, and we think that's how he'll accept us is when we're good. The truth is, through Jesus, acceptance is available today. Love is available today. Being part of God's family is available today. You've got to put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus. But that's not the end of the work of Jesus in your life. He's not just a forgiving machine. 
right? That, that's, not, that's not what Jesus does. He's a life-changing machine. So once we realize we've spilled the iced tea all over the desk and that we've made a mess of things and we don't know what to do, yeah, Jesus is right there to help us clean it up, but you best believe that he's also there as he forgives us to say, let's figure out how this doesn't happen again. And both are an expression of his love. I think we sometimes miss that, that his grace and his forgiveness, it's easy to see that's an expression of his love. But the work of his Holy Spirit, changing us from the inside out, helping us make better decisions, helping us live a new life, that is the result of his love as well. Here's how we sometimes say it around here. I'll put it on the screen for you. You can come to God just as you are because he loves you. You get that, right? You can come to him today. I don't care, Rahab, Tamar, whoever. You, you can come to God exactly as you are today. He will forgive all of your sins because he loves you when you come to him. But he refuses to leave you the way you are because he loves you. Both are an expression of his love. And we sometimes get it backwards. We think, man, I get it all together and then he'll love me. No, 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 no. You come to him as you are. He loves you. Jesus Christ has expressed that again and again and again. He loves you. You come to him the way you are, and then he will give you his Holy Spirit who will begin to do this work in your heart and your mind, and he will begin to change you from the inside out. But it starts with coming to him. And I talk to so many people that are so intimidated to do that and so scared to do that because they've made mistakes and they're ashamed and they're guilty and maybe they grew up in the church and now they're just running away from God. They're like, I can't come to him as I am. I have to fix things first. And I'm telling you, read the genealogy. The genealogy is full of mess-ups, screw-ups, prostitutes, liars, uh, people that have done all sorts of things. And the reason it is included, if you were writing your own genealogy, I promise you, would, you would not include the stories that Matthew includes. And the reason Matthew includes those for you and for me is to remind us, come to him as you are. This is Jesus' family. This is the family he came from, and this is the family he came for. He loves sinners. He loves to forgive. He loves to show grace. It is who he is. And so whenever you read through uh, the New Testament letters especially, you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and you start to get to the letters, almost every one of these letters will start with a declaration of the gospel. It is come to him as you are. Receive forgiveness. Receive grace. And it'll go through a chapter or two all about the gospel, the good news of Christmas, that grace is available to everyone. And then after a couple chapters of that, all right, you got that in your heart and your mind? You got that you can come to him? You got that you can approach him through Jesus? You got that grace is forgiven? Then it will begin to, to, to share with the churches that those letters were written to. These are the ways that he wants to change you. And then they'll begin to talk about marriage and family and finances, and all that. But you see the order, right? It is gospel first. It is come to Jesus first. And then it's like he's gonna give you his Holy Spirit, and he wants to bring these changes to your family, to your marriage, to your finances, to your work. He wants to do all this amazing stuff, but it is come to Jesus first. It is not make all those changes first, because we need the Holy Spirit to, to, even, to even do that. And so then he'll begin to share all that he wants uh, to do in our lives and in our families and in our hearts and our minds. And I personally, I think this really resounded with Matthew. 
Um, I, I love that it was Matthew that, that, that shared this lesson with us today because Matthew, before he was a follower of Jesus, Matthew was a tax collector. And, and, and tax collectors in the first century, like, despised, right? We know how loved they are now. Um, and so, you know, tax collectors in the, in the first century, people, and the reason for it was that they were Jewish men that had agreed, uh, and women, that had agreed to collect taxes for Rome. And the Roman system encouraged uh, deceit. It encouraged robbery. So if you're, the way you made a living as a Jewish tax collector is you would raise the taxes above what Rome said, and then you'd pay Rome their tax, and then the rest was yours. And so it encouraged dishonesty. Uh, it, it encouraged deceit. It, it, it encouraged you to rob from your own countrymen. And so they really were, they were considered traitors. Uh, they, they, they really were. They were considered uh, traitors because of how overtaxed people were feeling and um, the, the, the way that the tax collecting system worked. And one day Jesus walks by Matthew's booth. And he just said two words. He said, follow me. Follow me. And, and the Bible says that Matthew left his tax collecting booth and he followed Jesus. And over the course of Jesus' three-year ministry, you see Matthew change. That, that at one point he'd been this guy in this tax collecting booth robbing his own countrymen. And then over time, he, he wrote a book of the Bible. <laughs> he wrote a book of the Bible. He, 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 he made a huge difference in God's kingdom. But it started, it started with a decision to follow. Matthew didn't say, I got to get it all together and then I'll follow. He just got up and he followed. He said, Jesus is who I want to be with. And Jesus showed him grace upon grace upon grace. And then Jesus, over the course of three years, began to help him and teach him and bring about change. And change is slow. It's why we need the Holy Spirit and it's why we need to come to Jesus first. And so when Matthew's putting together uh, the genealogy, I, I picture him smiling a little bit. He says, you know who I'm going to include in the genealogy of Jesus? Rahab the prostitute, David the adulterer. I'm going to highlight David's adultery in the genealogy of Jesus. You know, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. There's a lot of other ways you could have said that, right? You know, you do it over Thanksgiving all the time and Christmas, right? When you're talking about someone in your family, their, their issues, like, well, let's just say they're this. And everyone's like, I know exactly what you mean. He, he just calls it right out. Tamar the deceiver. And then I think he had this thought in his head. These are people just like me. I was a tax collector. I was a cheat. I, I stole. And Jesus came for me. And he saved me. And he showed me grace. And he changed my life. And I think he wanted to communicate to you and I that every single one of us, if we were in that genealogy, every single person in that genealogy has all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think he wanted to remind us as Christmas is starting, before he ever gets to the shepherds, before he ever gets to the nativity, before he ever gets any of that, he's come for you. He's come for you. He's come to show you grace. He's come to forgive your sins. He's come to have a party to allow you back into the family. And he's come to give you his Holy Spirit so that you can change. He loves you the way you are. He loves you too much to leave you that way. And, and, but it's got to happen in the right order. And the first order, and I want to start our Christmas season off this way, the first thing is come to Jesus as you are. Express faith in him and buckle up and watch what he does. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father,
we thank you for your grace. Um, I just, I find it so encouraging some of the names that found their way into the genealogy. That um, these scandalous stories that I would have excluded if it were me. But you include them because you want to remind us that Jesus came for sinners. That he said at one time, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come for the righteous, but for sinners. This was the family he came from, and this is the family he came for. Help us to remember this this Christmas. We've got to come to Jesus. It starts there. We've got to come to him. He'll forgive us. He'll give us his Holy Spirit, and he'll change our life. We thank you for that grace. They're both grace. Forgiveness is grace and changed lives. It's, they're both grace. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, we'd love to, we'll have a couple prayer counselors up here. We'd love to pray with you of a prayer request. If you're interested in having a conversation about what Jesus came to do and what he came to be and, and why um, sinners were so important to him, if you want to have, uh, begin a conversation about that, we'd love to receive you down front as we sing.